Well, guys, I'm wondering if you have ever had to prepare for something. Have you ever had to prepare for something that was important? Now, some of us here, maybe growing up, you did like Dance of Steadfords. I know Ebony did that. There was preparation involved. Maybe for some of us here, you were an athlete or a recovering athlete uh, that still thinks you would have made it like me. Uh, You had to prepare for something. And, you know, Preparation is so important in life, but I've learned that preparation can also be painful. And, you know, something about me is you have to know at the age of about seven years old, does anyone here have a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old? Give me a wave. Yep, okay, so about yep, a seven or eight-year-old. Now, you have to understand, I was quite an intense eight-year-old. And I look back now and I just realize more and more how weird I was. Now, you know, while Ebony was probably swimming in the pool and Toby had his action man figure and, you know, John was playing with his Barbie, I mean, his um, action fit man figure, you know, so they're all having fun, normal childhoods. At the age of seven, I I went to my mum and I said, mum, I believe God's called me to be an Olympian. I'm going to win a gold medal at the Olympics. I'm going to get really famous and then I'm going to travel the world telling young people about Jesus. That was my dream at seven years old right now. uh, I actually got a photo to prove it. I was quite a good runner. Dan Frecker. Look at the determination in his face. And (laughs) you can keep that up just because I love it so much. But so that that was me at the age of about, I don't know, something under 10. And and (laughs) why are you laughing? I thought you'd be impressed, not laughing. Look at those guns, baby. Look at those legs. Look at the speed. I can, oh my gosh, the spiky hair. I used to use um, a, a gel of, um, a tub of gel every week. I nearly sent my mum broke. But anyway, my dream was to, to make the Olympics. And I, <laughs> I remember at the age of age, I told my mum, and we literally go and get a coach. Uh, I lived in Canberra at the time, and he literally coached uh, Olympians. He had like gold medal Olympians. So here I am at the age of eight when when, as I said, Ebony's in the swimming pool, John's with his Barbie, and I'm out, I'm just joking, John, <laughs> with his action man, I'm out on the training field. And after school, I would, I would be out there running and training. I'd be preparing. And, you know, the picture you saw behind me was actually me at the Nationals. I was representing the ACT. And uh, I thought it was really good until I came in verse like Victoria, Queensland, and New South Wales. And unfortunately, ACT is a very small state. So it wasn't as impressive as I thought. But I remember I had a goal time. And so, you know, maybe my PB in the 800 meters might have been two minutes, 30 seconds. And I would say to my coach, I want to get it down to 2.15 for this next Nationals. The only way to do that was to prepare. So I'd be at training, I'd be pushing myself, I would be working hard, I would have to try to eat well, I was in the zone, I would listen to Shannon Knoll on the way there just to motivate my spirit. Uh, and I remember this one day, it was, it was a memorable day. I was out running with this coach, and what he would do, he'd have this big team of people, and they would all be uh, training uh, for quite serious events. And I was about 11 at this time, but there were like 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, and, and I remember, block your ears, Ebony, I had my first crush. 
I had my first crush. I was about 11 and there was this 14-year-old girl in the running group and she, at the time, I just thought she was so cool. I'd go all red when she was around. Like, you know what I mean? I was so young, but I just remember, I'm like, she's just awesome. I'd like to be a friend. And, and so we're going on this run. There's about 10 of us. And I was like, Dan, I was listening to my Shannon Noel that morning. And I was just like, this is the day I'm gonna say hi to her. And so I was so excited. And, and there was one other person. Now, I don't like this guy to this day. I'm trying to forgive him. He was about 17. He was the coolest guy in the group. He had just won the Australian titles. Like He's Mr. Big Shot, right? And I just remember we're on this run and I'm just loving my life, training, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to catch up to her right now. And I, and I start to go close, and I'm like, this, I'm so nervous. I'm like, I'm going to do it. And, and I'm like, I, I literally, she's besides me now. And I turn around to start talking to her. And the next thing I discovered is some idiot had made a pole right where I was running, and I'm looking at her, and I just go to say hi, and I get hit exactly where you don't want to get hit. I flip over, land on my head, and this 17-year-old guy got everyone to surround me and just started laughing at me. And it was like traumatizing as an 11-year-old, because I was like, she saw it, and I was in so much pain. But anyway... I learned that day that preparation can be painful. Now, that was an exceptionally painful day because that hurt my soul as well as my body. But who knows preparing can be hard, right? As I said, no matter what in life, when we prepare, I've learned this. Preparation can be painful, but it is pertinent. Preparation can be painful, but it is pertinent. For me to achieve my goals running, I needed to prepare. I needed to get better and I needed to grow. And I've learned for us to do anything great in life, we need to prepare. And for you and I to be the person that God has called us to be and to do what he's called us to do, God needs to prepare the man of God or the woman of God first. And I'm not so much talking here about him preparing our skills and our competencies, which yes, he does that and that's important. But more than anything, God actually needs to prepare who we are. He needs to prepare the man of God and the woman of God to become who he's called us to be. And I wanna share a thought with you that it really challenges me. But who you are today is too small for what God has for you tomorrow. Who I am today, who you are today, we are currently too small for what God has for us tomorrow. And so out of His grace, we go on this journey where God prepares us. And God sees you as the future you right now. He can see you in one year, in five years, in 10 years' time. And He goes, all right, I see Dan in five years, and and I'm a bigger person What do I mean by that? Hopefully we're not talking about I get bigger where I don't want to get bigger, right? No, no, we're talking about on the inside. I get closer to Jesus. I will be a bigger person because my prayer life is more intimate with Jesus. When I open the word, I hear his voice clearer. When pressure comes on me, I have a bigger capacity to still follow and love Jesus no matter what life throws at me. I can, you know, a battle I might face in five years and win right now I probably would crumble. But God sees that and he says, I want to help you prepare for what I have for you. And as I said, we're going to be looking at a man in the Bible named David. He's probably the most famous king in all of the Old Testament, if you haven't heard of him. 
He actually was, God blessed him so much that Jesus Christ, God's son, is in the lineage of King David. And he reigns on the throne forever because a son of David, technically Jesus, reigns forever as our king. David had this amazing moment where God anointed him to become the king. And most Bible scholars believe he was about the age of 15. Okay, so he's 15. The Bible says he's a ruddy, handsome little boy. He's not muscly. He's not big, but God saw something in him. And that's the scripture we heard before. He gets anointed at 15 to become the king. It takes, he was 30 when he became the king of Judah. That's 15 years But that wasn't the full promise. He was 37 when he became the king of all of Israel. 22 years between when he was anointed by God over here to be the king of Israel, and he waited 22 years in what we are going to call today the wilderness test. And then 22 years later at the age of 37, that promise comes to pass. Let's look at the Bible together. Psalm 105, verse 19. This is actually a psalm written about Joseph, but it's such a key principle. It says, Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. I want everyone to say tested. Tested Tested him. So David's here at 15 and receives a word from God. You are going to be the king of Israel And until the time that his word came to pass, so when God gave him that word, God knew it was going to be 22 years until he gave David that promise. So what was God doing in this this chaotic, messy 22 years? The Bible says, and he did it in Joseph's, and we see it all throughout the Bible, until that time of the word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And it's the same with you and I, friend. Before we enter the promised land that God has given us, we will enter a wilderness test, a season of testing. As Pastor John shared with us, a wilderness test is a God-ordained season that you go through to prepare you. Everyone say prepare. To prepare you for his purpose and his promises. A reminder, preparation can be painful, but it's pertinent. And this word test is so interesting. I won't go into it, but it literally means in the Hebrew, it's a word, I don't know how to say it, twasraf, and it literally means to refine like metal, uh, like a goldsmith, to melt, to pure, to purge away. And during the Old Testament, how they would purify gold, there was three key um, steps they would have to take, and that's the same word we hear in this psalm. Number one, the gold needs to get crushed into powder. So when you and I receive a promise from God and we have a promised land, we shouldn't be surprised when our first step is some crushing. (laughs) Yay, no, not fun, but crushing, some crushing. And then what happened after the crushing, they would go through that fine gold um, and the rock and they would wash it. There was a purifying. There would be a washing, a, a purifying When you and I receive a promise or we enter into what God has for us, there will be washing. There will be removal of sin and temptation. We'll walk through uh, what the Bible calls pruning. And then lastly, you'd hope it'd get better, but then it goes into the furnace. 
So it's been crushed, it's been washed, and then it puts it into boiling hot furnace. And in the furnace, which represents the trials of life, the temptations of life, we're about to see David's life. He definitely got some crushing, some washing, and some furnace time. But in the furnace, what would happen is the impurities in the gold would come to the surface. And it made it easier for the goldsmith to then remove those impurities. If you want God to use you, there may be some crushing. There may be some washing and some fires and trials, but you know the good news is this. God is with us in the wilderness test. We will always get through it. So my question is this. David was in the wilderness. What was God doing in David's life? One might think was God being cruel. Like, is it just cruel that there was a 22-year gap? I believe, of course, that the answer is no. I believe that in the wilderness, by God's grace, he was preparing David. God could see ahead in David's life about the future. He saw the pressure that would come from him being the king. He saw the battles that he would come against, the temptation for sin, the spiritual pressure that was coming and the challenges. And out of his love, he said, I'm going to help prepare you, David. And I look back on my own life, and I'm sure if you would reflect on yours, so often in my world, when I'm just about to receive breakthrough in an area of my life, is actually when life can be the most challenging. I don't know about you, but often when I'm about to step into the call of God in a new way, I find all hell breaks loose in my life. Or when I'm about to receive a promise, I remember many times, uh, sorry, a few times when Eb and I have gone to buy a house and we make that decision and we're just about to buy a house and everything that can go wrong financially just begins to go wrong. What's happening there? I know in my life, I'm in a wilderness test and the enemy's trying to stop me from breaking through, but God is using that season to prepare me for the answered promise. And the good news is this, if you and I do what David did, which we're gonna talk about today, is we will always get through the wilderness test into our promised land, amen? Come on, are you thankful to God? Give him a hand. It's his grace to us. God is always more interested in what he is doing in us than what he is doing through us or for us. Who we are becoming is more important to God than what we are doing. We need to be big enough to receive the dream. In the wilderness test, we become the kind of person who can receive the promise, who can receive the breakthrough, who can, who can receive the calling and the purpose and stand strong. Why did David become king? I want to quickly talk about, let's go back to that starting verse. Um, sorry, Derek, we're all good, man. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Now, here's a tale of two lives, just as we're about to get into it, of Saul and David. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second. And, and it was so sad. It's a heartbreaking story we read about Saul because what happened is God rejected Saul. He rejected him because his character could not sustain the calling on his life. Who Saul was ended up sabotaging his dreams, his insecurities, his, his fears, the, the challenges he walked through. It unfortunately ended up for Saul that that led to then disobedience, and that disobedience led to God rejecting him as king. 
And I find it so interesting when I look at the life of Saul and I look at the life of David. Do you know they both had the same call of God? They both had the same promise from God. Every, you know, all the promises David had pre-being king, Saul had too. In fact, the Bible hints that Saul was actually a lot more gifted than David. He was definitely a lot more handsome, the Bible says. You know, Saul had all the appearances of what would make a great king, but there was something off in his heart. And he didn't allow God into his heart. He didn't take that preparation time. And I love this because he said, I, I, I've rejected him. But, I, but God says, I have found something in David. What did God call David? A man after my own heart. I want to ask you here today, do you feel or perceive, are you in a wilderness test right now? What are some signs you might be in a wilderness test? You might find yourself struggling. You might find yourself in a battle, feeling distant from God. It might feel like battle after battle, struggle after struggle. You might feel immense growing, immense stretching pains, immense enlarging that God keeps asking a lot of you and you've got to grow into it. Often we feel in the wilderness test forgotten and overlooked. I feel like God has forsaken me. I feel like God has overlooked me. I feel like my pastor, my connect group, I just feel hidden. Perhaps we feel like God has actually even left us. Now, not every trial is a wilderness test. As we learned before, it's a God-ordained season. But generally, if you are not in one now, I can guarantee as a believer you will be one in one soon. But I want to ask you, are you in one now? Because this is actually the journey of a disciple of Jesus. It's not, you haven't done anything wrong to be in the wilderness test. In fact, if you look through scripture, you're in good company with David, with Moses, uh, with all our heroes, including Jesus Christ himself went through a wilderness test. So you're in good company. But I want to ask here today, are you in a wilderness test? And I want us to look at the life of David to see three keys that God is looking for. Because at the end of the day, what is he doing? God is looking at our heart. What differed David and Saul? It was one thing, their heart. When no one else is looking in the wilderness test, God is looking at what is coming out of our heart. Number two, he is purifying our character. We're in the furnace. We're in the washing. We are becoming more like Jesus. Sin is coming to the surface to be removed by Jesus, and he is developing and discipling us. Who does he want us to be? He wants us to be servant-hearted, worshiping warriors. I want you to say that after me. Say, servant-hearted, worshiping warriors. So here today, I want to look at three moments in David's life. Let's go on a journey together now. There were many more moments. These are just three hand-picked. But it reveals something in his heart where he stood out from the rest of people around him. And so I want to start with the word warriors. Everyone say, I am a warrior. This is one of my favorite passages in the scripture. And it's very famous. You probably have heard of it. It's David and Goliath. We're going to go together to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 34 in the New Living. And oh, I love this story so much. But we're going to uh, just follow along in a, in a key part. 
But what is happening as the team get that up in the context of it, there was a, a man of the enemy of the Philistines named Goliath. Now, the Bible says he was over nine feet tall. He was like a giant, like a literal giant. Uh, we think that the AFL players are tall. Goliath was even taller. Nine feet tall. He, uh, the Bible says he was a man of war from his youth. He has been trained from the moment he was alive to hunt, kill, and destroy. He's that kind of person you look at and you just instantly shudder with intimidation. He was a killer. And the Philistines, which was God's enemies, and the Israelites were in this face-off. And Goliath would come every day and taunt God's people and say, send me one person whom I can fight. And if you win, we will surrender to you. And if we win, you surrender to us. And so King Saul is there, okay? Now, King Saul, obviously, right now, is showing bad leadership signs. He didn't trust God, and he was shuddering with intimidation. But then, this little ruddy boy, David, okay, who is a shepherd, he was a musician. He's that, you know, he's the worship leader with the tight, skinny jeans and the boots. Like, do you know what I'm saying? He wasn't in the gym. He was doing harp lessons. Like, David was not a warrior, but you know what David was? He, he was a warrior on the inside. He knew who God was. And so David finds himself here. And we read in verse 34, but David persisted. He's now asking to let me fight Goliath. He said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I would go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turned on me, I would catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Now, just when you think about that for a moment, David was a shepherd looking after his father's sheep. And he literally, there was probably thousands of sheep. No one would have even known if one went missing. But David, when a lion came to take one sheep away that no one would have even noticed, guess what? David went and went hands to hand with a lion, if you know what I'm saying. He fought a lion. And then when a bear comes, like, do you know how big bears are? They are terrifying. And he fights a bear. So obviously, when no one was looking, God saw something in his heart. I found a man who will fight. I love that. I've done this both to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Even when I read those words, I just like feel like faith rise. David was a warrior. He said, hey, I've fought a lion before and God protected me. I've fought a bear before and somehow God protected me. And now you're trying to tell me you're all scared of this little punk defying Jesus Christ himself. And I just love it because David's like, let me at him. And everyone's like, no. But finally, he, go, he, he convinces King Saul, let me fight this punk, Goliath. And I love this. In verse 45, just one quick snapshot again. David replied to, to, to Goliath, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you. I will cut off your head, PG warning, and then I will give your dead bodies, all right, M15 warning, to the men of the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that God, there is a God in Israel. Man. David 
didn't fight with, with sword and spear like Goliath, but David had our, our weapons that you and I have access to, and he had God on his side. And I love this, because when God was looking at David, on the inside, he saw a warrior. He did not look at the size of his enemy. He looked at the size of his God. See, everyone in Israel looked at the size of Goliath, but they completely forgot who was on their side. It was Jesus Christ. And he is bigger than enemy and any enemy or battle you and I will ever come across. He is a big God. He knew if God was on his side, he could not lose. And he could not believe nor allow someone to defy Jesus and get away with it. So this is what's interesting. You and I are praying for our promised land. So we're on this side praying for God to answer our prayer, to use our life, to restore our marriage, for our child to come back to Christ, whatever it is in your world. But do you know what is in the promised land? If we look in the Bible, what's in the promised land? Where enemies, giants, and battles waiting. So you and I pray for the promised land, but God knows before he gives us a promised land, he needs a warrior in us because he knows there are battles ahead. And I I remember for Ebony and I when uh, we first got asked to pray about moving to Melbourne. And it was a to plant this location. And I remember for me, obviously, that's over here, and that's a big step into our calling and our future. And we went and prayed about it. We heard God say yes. We said yes. And then I would say I entered this huge wilderness test season. I just found so much pressure came on me uh, and in my soul, in my mind, in my thinking. I found trial after trial came against me, challenges that I'd never faced before, pressure I'd never felt before. And I I look back now and I reflect on that season and it, it lasted months in my world. But what was happening in that wilderness? God was preparing the man of God. He was looking for a warrior to come up to me because he knew what was coming and he was preparing me and developing me. How can we do this in our life? Is it in our own strength? Is he looking for you and I to go to the gym and get, no, it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own ability. It is in the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness test, and the, the devil came against him. He said three words every single time he had a conversation with the enemy. It, he said, it is written. Yeah. How do you and I become warriors? We need to get the word of God in our heart and our mouth. Yeah. We need to remember who is on our side. And I want to encourage you, friend, no matter what trial or battle you're facing right now, there is nothing that you cannot overcome with Jesus Christ on your side. There's no greater power in all this earth than the one who has promised to be with you and fight for you. And he sometimes just needs you and I to stand up on the inside like David did and say, you know what? I've got a Goliath in front of me. I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm going to face this thing head on. Just like David ran at his Goliath and God came through. You and I need to become warriors in the wilderness test. So why don't you say that? Say, I am am a warrior. warrior. Number two, I want to look at how David had a servant heart. So God found a warrior. He found also a servant heart. Just another quick story. Uh, 1 Samuel verse 24 
So what had gone on is David obviously defeated Goliath. David rose and rose and rose and became the greatest warrior in the Israelite army. And Saul, King Saul, who now God had departed from, started to become very jealous of David. And you know what? Long story short, Saul started trying to kill David. Uh, Saul started trying to throw javelins at him and just trying to kill him. And so David actually had to flee. He had to leave his wife. He had to leave his family. He had to leave all his belongings. And he became homeless, living in the wilderness all by himself. And then he rose a bit of an army around him. But this went on for years. It literally went on for years where poor King David was just fleeing from Saul. And we, I want us to picture that as we go into the story, as we read from verse 3. So Saul is out trying to hunt David. And at that place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. I love how real the Bible is. That's great. Um, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. So Saul had 3,000 men ready to hunt David down and kill him. He goes by himself to relieve himself, and it's the very cave King David is in. And now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. I was like, now's your opportunity. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off, so he had, a, he had a sword. He could have right there and then killed Saul. He could have right there and then killed the problem that was the biggest problem in David's life. He could have right there and then killed the man who was unjustly, unfairly trying to kill him. But what does David do? And more than that, his army's like, kill him. This is your chance. They're even saying, God's telling you this is your chance. But David cuts off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. He literally just cuts a little bit of his clothes and then retreats back to it. But then David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. What a man of integrity. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I find this just amazing. Once again, in the wilderness test, God sees something in David's heart. See, David wasn't willing to compromise on, on what he believed was true. He, wasn't, he was a man of integrity, of character. And out of his heart, he had one true motive, and that it was to serve his God, to serve Jesus. And I love this because, you know, I, I, I struggle to think what I would have done. But in, our, in, you know, in the furnace and in the wilderness, your motive and my motive gets tested. It's easy to have a great motive when life's going well, right, on the mountain. But in the valley, I believe our heart and our motive gets tested. And this was a testing. This was a furnace moment for David. And I love what King David did. He refused to, to rush ahead of God. He refused to shortcut into his future. And what he did is out of his heart just came nothing. But I am here to serve God and I trust his timing. If that means I have to stay in the wilderness, homeless, for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, I refuse to take matters into my own hands because I serve him. And when no one else was looking, God was looking. If our calling is built on anything else but serving Jesus, it will not last the distance. Who is God looking for? Who, who can God trust? What is he trying to do in our hearts? I truly believe God is looking for men and women 
who serve him, who love him, whose motives are pure. And I wanted to encourage us here today, it doesn't matter what your calling is. Maybe some people here are called to be pastors and church planners. Maybe others are called to to build great godly businesses and, and make an impact in society. Maybe your calling is to be a great teacher, a phenomenal mom, a great grandparent. Like No matter what our calling, what I love is this doesn't change. Whatever our calling is, the great question is, why am I doing it? And I found for me, if I'm really honest with you, God challenges me because if you're anyone like me, my motive just starts to go off 1% every now and then. And, and I love when God in moments like this just goes, Dan, just remember back why. And I bring it back to I am here to serve Jesus. So I want to ask you here today, what is your motive? What's my motive in the wilderness? What, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we here to serve God? Or are we here for other reasons? And here today, let that furnace in the, in the wilderness test as we come back to that place of Jesus. I'm a warrior and I'm servant-hearted. And lastly, as I finish, I'm going to invite the band up. And Ebony preached a brilliant message on this last week. David was a worshiper. See, King David in those 22 years, it wasn't just a season of waiting. It was a season of immense heartache. He lost his wife. Saul tried to kill him consistently. He became homeless. Time and time again, he lost everything. He had people betray him. He fought war after battle after war after battle. He lost his children and family in different seasons. You know, I've put myself in David's shoes. And don't you think it would be a little bit fair enough if David was a bit angry at God? Saying, wait a minute, God, at 15, you're, you're the one who told me and called me to be a king. And I've been nothing but obedient to you. But he found himself in this wilderness, walking around and around for 22 years. And I think David had a big right to be a little bit angry at God, right? God, I thought I'm doing what you told me to do, but I'm here and I'm miserable. I'm here and you feel far away. I'm here and, and, I, and you haven't answered my prayer. I'm here and I just lost my wife. I'm here and the, my enemies just took my children and all my belongings. Like, poor David's probably like, why? What is going on? And do you know what? Everyone around him, all his men and armies, we see time and time again, they get bitter at God. They complain to God. They turn from God. But can I tell you, friends, something about David, which I believe is one of the best things you and I can learn, is in every moment of heartache and pain, David was real with God, but he always turned back to God. David was a man who loved his God. And we see him time and time again. He would worship Jesus. He would worship God. When when things were going well, David would love God and worship him. But also we read in, in, in these darkest moments and days, the Bible collects it. What does David do? He loves God and worships him. David didn't worship God based on his circumstances, based on what was going on in his life. David worshiped God because of who he was. What is God looking for us in the wilderness? He's looking at our heart, as I shared earlier, when no one else is looking. And when we're in that furnace of affliction, when we're in the crushing, when you and I are in heartache and pain, when God feels far away, when things aren't going exactly like we had hoped for, and we're in the wilderness, Jesus, even though he seems far away, he could not be closer. And he looks at us and he, and he sees what comes out of our heart. 
And the question is, does he find a man or a woman who just says, you know what, right now life is tough, but yet I will worship you, Jesus. Right now, life is challenging, yet I will be in the house of God with my family. And even though I might have had the worst week ever, yet I will get up tomorrow morning and I will seek you in prayer. Even when life is struggling, I'm still gonna open the Word of God. Even when I feel crushed and perplexed, I'm still gonna live by my faith and be a disciple of Jesus. And I tell you what, when God finds someone like that, He goes, I can trust Him. I can trust her. And, and this is the thing as I close, the wilderness test. It actually is a test. And we see in the Bible, people fail that test. And we see people in the Bible, they pass that test. The decision is up to us. And just like those Israelites, we can go around the wilderness for 40 years when all we had to do was actually turn our attention to God and say, Lord, what are you looking for in me? When the expiration date of our wilderness test is it's often up to us. How much are we willing to let the Lord do what he's trying to do in our heart? Yes, there are times and seasons where he has an exact time, and, and, but still, you and I need to be ready. And so here today, I wanna ask you, what is God trying to do in your heart right now in this season? I believe for some of us, it is that warrior. It's like we're actually just become a bit passive, it's almost like you can't remember the last time you just went against the enemy and you bound him off your family and your life. You can't remember the last time you got the word of God in your mouth. And despite your circumstances, like Jesus teaches us, you spoke to the mountain in faith. I know out of COVID, many of us lost that grunt and fire. But God is looking for you and I to be a warrior, a man or a woman of God who stands strong against their Goliaths. For others of us, maybe it's our heart, our motive. Why do I do what I do? Have you and I lost that passion and that fire just to serve God? See, David was unwilling to compromise on that. I will serve him. That's why I want to be king. It's not for gain. And maybe for some of us here, I've had these moments many times. The Holy Spirit comes and says, Dan, you've just wandered a bit off. It's time to come back to that pure heart to serve Jesus. Or lastly, maybe you've lost your worship. Maybe you've let life circumstance just beat you down, which, hey, we've all been there. So this isn't for us to feel guilty. This is God's grace to us. So today's the day we can make the decision. Do you know what? Even though my life right now is so tough and challenging, I yet will worship Jesus. Can we all just stand our feet as I close?